Today, I'll be reading from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this morning I was getting ready to preach, and I was coming up uh, to the front of the sanctuary, and Blake Horn, the son of our choir director, Brian, he's about five years old, he said to me, hey, you have almost no hair, just like my dad. <laughs> and I want you to know, there's a... Being told by a five-year-old that you're bald is not the, bre- the best preparation to go on stage before hundreds of people. I mean, what can you, but what can you do? So I want to tell you one of my all-time favorite stories. It's a story I heard about a year and a half ago and one that I've told in connection before. It's the story of a man named Larry Walters. Larry Walters is a man who launched from total obscurity into the national spotlight in the span of about 90 minutes in the summer of 1982. Growing up, Larry wanted to be an Air Force fighter pilot, but he had really bad eyesight, and that kept him from fulfilling that goal. But a few years down the road, Larry, living in Los Angeles, California, uh, he's, a, he's driving truck. Larry's a truck driver in L.A., but his dream of being a pilot had not been forgotten. So fast forward to 1982. Summer of 1982, Larry and his girlfriend used a forged document from the company he drove for, which was incidentally a film studio, to purchase 42 weather balloons, helium weather balloons, and he told the vendor these balloons were to be used for a TV commercial, but Larry had other plans. On July 2nd, Larry and several of his buddies filled the balloons with helium and began attaching them to a lawn chair in his girlfriend's backyard. Larry loaded the chair with an altimeter, a CB radio, a pellet gun, a sandwich, and a six-pack of his favorite beverage. He put on a parachute, a life preserver, and then he strapped himself into the chair because safety first. He tied the chair to his Jeep with a cord. I believe we have a visual here. As more and more balloons were attached to the chair, it gradually rose off the ground, and when all 42 were attached, Larry gave his friends the signal and they cut the cord. Now, he'd attached some water jugs to the chair as well to serve as ballast, and he thought it would rise at about a rate of uh, 
part of me. He thought it would only rise to about 30 feet before leveling off, but as soon as the cord was cut, it actually started rising at about a rate of 1,000 feet a minute until leveling off finally at 1,500 to 1,600 feet. Excuse me, 15,000 to 16,000 feet. He would later tell a reporter, I was afraid I'd pass out if it went much higher. I started getting scared. You couldn't pay me to do it again. And so Larry, he floated from his point of origin in San Pedro into controlled airspace near LAX. A TWA captain spotted him and radioed into flight control that he was passing a man in a lawn chair <laughs> at 16,000 feet who was waving a pistol. <laughs> After 45 minutes, Larry shot several of the balloons, which was his plan for descending, before accidentally dropping the pellet gun. Yeah, big mistake. But thankfully, Larry had already shot out enough balloons, and he descended slowly, landing about 90 minutes after he took off, welcomed by a friendly squad of the L.A. police, uh, the LAPD, waiting to greet him. And so Larry, his adventure, it made national news that night. Does anybody out there remember when this happened? I had a few folks in the first service tell me they did. And so Larry, he was greeted by the LAPD and eventually fined $1,500 by the FAA for his unsanctioned flight. And my favorite part of this story comes at the very end. Larry was being interviewed after he landed by a reporter, and she asked him, why would you do such a crazy thing? And you know what Larry's response was? A man can't just sit around. <laughs> I love that. A man can't just sit around. I don't know if any of you have a Bible like this, but I have a study Bible that assigns a little header over to each passage. And I want to say, if I was in charge of writing those little headers before passages, I would assign this one the name, A Christian Can't Just Sit Around. A Christian Can't Just Sit Around. April is our spring missions month here at ECC. And so we're really focusing on what is God at work in the world? What is God up to doing? And so... I hope this goes without saying, but this isn't just something we think about two months out of the year. Our hope for this Missions Emphasis Month is to spur each other on to good works, participating in God's mission with all of our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. And ECC is a place that has a strong value for missions. I want you to know that. I have been a part of many churches in my life. I am the son of a preacher man, and I moved around a lot as a kid, and I've been at a lot of churches, but never have I been in a church that had such close relationships with the missionaries they have supported. Missionaries are often visiting ECC. We're often sending people out to visit them, and we're constantly receiving updates on their work. When I come in here on Sunday afternoons with our Connection Band members around 4 o'clock, there is always a group of individuals in the conference room hearing updates on our missionaries and praying for them. These folks are committed, and I know they're not alone in that. Mission is a part of who we are. This is something that we really value, and we want to see what God is up to in the world, how we can come alongside his work and participate in it. And a phrase that we use to describe our strategy for ministry here at ECC is this. We are receiving, equipping, and sending church. What we're trying to summarize in that statement is that a lot of what we do here at ECC on a Sunday morning and throughout the week is for the purpose of equipping the people of God for mission out there in Bloomington and in the world. In today's passage, Acts chapter 1 has so much to say about God's mission and how followers of Jesus Christ are able to participate in it. 
Jesus commissioning here in Acts chapter 1, this passage establishes for the disciples an understanding of their identity and purpose. They were a people sent out to the nations. That is who they are. God gathered them together as a community in Christ that they might be sent out to the entire world with the good news. That's who they were. You may remember the commissioning passage of John. John chapter 20, Jesus said to his disciples, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So let's think about that. What was the mission that they were sent out to? It was to continue Jesus' kingdom ministry and proclaim how his death and resurrection had ushered in the kingdom of God in a whole new way. You know, the disciples of Jesus, they may have thought life would get boring once Christ reascended. And so what he's doing in these 40 days, this 40-day boot camp, is teaching them that their story is only getting started. Their mission would carry on. It would make an internal impact, and their lives would have such purpose because of his death and resurrection and the new mission that it brought them. And so this 40-day period, it was a really important time of development for the church. Christ's teachings and his miracles, they were monumental for his followers in portraying the realities of the kingdom and giving people a picture of what the kingdom of God come to earth looks like. But imagine how much greater weight the teachings of Christ and his miracles took on after these disciples saw him crucified on a cross and now standing resurrected before him, what a weight and authority it gave to Christ's teachings and his miracles. It established those as the ones of God himself. And so the resurrection, it marked the inbreaking of the kingdom of God on a whole new level. During his ministry, Jesus taught what the kingdom looked like and he provided a perfect example of godliness. But we also need to recognize that Christ himself was sent from the Father as a sacrificial servant to die on the cross for the restoration of broken people to God. It's through Jesus Christ, through faith in him, that we're able to be restored to relationship with God. And we're given eternity in him when we trust Christ in faith. We're forgiven. We're granted new life. And so when we think about the resurrection, it has massive implications on our lives as individuals. It has a profound transformative effect on our inner lives. It, it transforms us. It changes our destiny. We're given an eternal destiny, eternal hope in Christ. But we also need to recognize that it transforms our purpose and mission. That's what today's passage is about. Jesus needed his disciples to be clear on that reality. And wanting Jesus to be the pardon me, Jesus to be the Messiah of their own personal desires. The disciples' desire for Jesus to meet their needs was a constant temptation for them. There are several stories in the Gospels where we see the disciples get really excited thinking that Jesus would be the one who had come to deliver them from Roman oppression, to be this one who would bring political restoration for the people of Israel. And so Jesus, he clarified time and time again that the restoration he'd come to bring was so much bigger than that. But we see even, in, even after his resurrection, in verse 6, we see again that they're misguided in thinking what Jesus had come to do. Listen to verse 6. He said, the disciples say to Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Christ said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
So Jesus needed his disciples to know that the good news was good news for them, but it wasn't only good news for them. His resurrection was good news for all who would believe in him at all times, in all contexts, all people, in all situations, for all eternity when they believe him to be their Lord and Savior. And so Jesus, he came to bring the kingdom near. He came to restore people to God. And he came to give the disciples' lives a meaning and purpose bigger than they ever would have thought possible when he commissioned them to be his witnesses here. Isn't there a universal human drive to live a life that really means something? To live a life that makes an impact beyond ourselves in the short time that we have here? This passage makes it so clear that it is through faith in Christ that human beings are invited to participate in the ultimate human vocation, that is to witness to the resurrection of Jesus for the glory of God. What could have greater importance than that? This is a vocation that can fully engage us for all of our lives, all of our time here on earth. We don't have time to waste staring at the sky, as these angels point out in our passage. And so I want to talk with you this morning, what does our witness to Christ's resurrection look like? How do we live this out? First of all, it involves sharing the good news and making disciples. Listen to the imperatives of Matthew's commissioning here. Make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And so we, followers of Jesus Christ, are to share the good news. We're to do so with boldness but also with patience, trusting God's spirit to do the work. I want to give you this word of of encouragement. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and sharing the good news isn't a regular part of your life, would you start your day with this prayer? Would you start your day saying, God, give me a bigger picture for what you've done in Christ. Work on the cross for me this morning. Would you show me the beauty of the gospel? God, Would you open up my heart with love for those who don't know you and give me opportunities to share what you've done? Would you pray that simple prayer? Start your morning with that prayer. I have a really hard time believing that God won't answer that prayer. Would you do that? I want to tell you, sometimes sharing the good news, we don't see the fruit for a a while. And so we do it with boldness, but we do it with patience, trusting that God's spirit will do the work. I have had conversations after conversation with friends about what Jesus has done, how that's changed my life, and my desire for them to come to accept him as Jesus, their own Lord and Savior. And I've seen those conversations go absolutely nowhere, time after time. But I've also seen that same friend who I had this disinterested conversation with come to me and say, Josiah, I've been thinking about it, and the things that are going on in my life are much bigger than me. Can we talk about Jesus? When the Spirit of God decides to work in someone's life, there's no holding him back. And so pray for those opportunities. Go through those doors that God opens with boldness, but trust that his Spirit will do the work. He'll do it in his timing. And when that happens, it's really exciting to be a part of it. And so don't miss out on that. Sharing the good news. What a privilege it is to be able to partner in that work of God. And so discipleship, the call to make disciples, it's about more than just a person believing in Jesus Christ. It's about that person growing in their knowledge and faith and how the good news of Jesus Christ transforms the way we live our entire lives. And so 
coming alongside each other in that process. It takes a relational investment. Discipleship is about followers of Jesus Christ sharing life and building up new believers in knowledge of what it means to follow Jesus and participate in his mission. And so each and every one of us, we need to make that effort to grow relationships with other believers, and specifically believers who aren't as far along in their walk of faith in Christ as we are. We are all at that point at one time or another ourselves. We've got to be there to support each other and encourage each other in Christ, build each other up as his disciples. So discipleship, it doesn't happen by accident. We've got to make that relational investment in each other's lives. Witnessing to Christ, it also involves reflecting Jesus' values with our actions. You may remember the story, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Luke 4 tells it. When Jesus went to the synagogue in Nazareth, which was his hometown, and he declared his mission from God, he stood up and read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so in this reading, Jesus was telling the people of Israel the messianic promises of old are now to be fulfilled in him. He was the anointed one sent from the Father to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. That's what Jesus' ministry was all about. And so in that passage that Jesus just read, he's saying this is what the kingdom looks like. This is what it looks like when God meets earth. It looks like good news coming to poor people, freedom and justice coming to the oppressed, forgiveness to hopeless sinners and healing to the sick and disabled. And so the coming of the kingdom, it's about Jesus restoring people to right relationship with God, but it's also about Jesus restoring creation to the way he intended it to be before mankind's fall and sin and making the world look more what it will be like when Christ comes again to renew in full. And so the disciples at one point, they asked Jesus, how should we pray? And he told them, pray that the kingdom would come here on earth as it is in heaven followers of Christ today. We are to pray for that, and we are called to put our faith into action by seeking to forward God's kingdom values. That's a part of what it means to witness to Christ. And another critical point in this passage is that witnessing to Jesus Christ not only involves carrying on his mission, but doing so by the same means he did, by faith and in the power of the Holy Spirit. In verses 4 and 5, Jesus told his disciples, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The disciples needed to wait for the Holy Spirit before attempting their mission, because without his help, without his power, they would be completely out of luck. They wouldn't be able to fulfill their call on their own. They couldn't do it. Just wait. Don't even try it, guys. But look what would happen when the Spirit did show up. We're going to hear these stories in full throughout this sermon series on the book of Acts that we're just now beginning. What would happen when the Spirit would show up? The gospel would be communicated to people in many different languages through one mouth in one moment. People would be healed. Demons would be cast out. 
as Dan talked about in his sermon last week, the greatest enemy of the church would become the greatest advocate of the church. Persecuted apostles who were falsely imprisoned would be supernaturally broken out. A young man who fell asleep in church and fell out a window and died, let that be a lesson to you all, um, would then be raised again to life. Let that be an even bigger lesson. The disciples were called to God's work, but to do it God's way, to pursue the mission of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what makes, he is what makes witnessing to Christ possible. I like to ride a road bike, and two or three years ago, I got a new bike. And it came time to change the tire. I got a flat tire, and something you need to know about me is I have zero mechanical inclination But if you can't even change the tire on your road bike, you are a sorry excuse for a cyclist. And so I spent hours trying to fix this tire on my road bike. It was was a gut-wrenching process. I got these tire levers to pry that thing off, and it didn't work. And so I was like, ah, I just need different tire levers. So I went and got the nicest tire levers you can buy. I'm having no luck. I didn't want to go to a bike mechanic and tell him I can't even get off my tire. Uh, That's really embarrassing. And so I took it to one of our students who's ridden on a little 500 team. And I was like, hey, man, you're a cyclist. Help me get this tire off. And so he's like wrenching on this thing. And I'm like telling him, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. But (laughs) he... He couldn't get this tire off, and so I took it home for another two days working on this thing, Um, but you know, it just wasn't going to happen. I have cross-country runner arms. Um, I have a hard time opening cans for my wife sometimes, and so I had to go to a bike, I had to go to a bike shop and get this guy to to fix the tire for me, and so you know, I bring it in, he grabs a tire, and he's prying on it himself. He's He's a pretty strong college guy, but I was really encouraged. He was having a really difficult time it was great. Um, he worked on it for like 10 minutes, and I felt so much better about myself. And eventually, he was like, I've, you know, I'm done with this. I can't do it. I'm not going to get that off. And so he grabbed this tool that is called a tire bead jack off the counter next to him and just goes like this, click, and the tire instantly popped off. It was ridiculous how easy it was when he used that tire bead jack after like three men dedicated our life's mission to removing this tire. <laughs> In our defense, I found out later that the tire was a different size from the wheel, and that's why it was so difficult to get off. Um, Yeah, the reason I share this story, that job, it was absolutely impossible without the right tool, but it was ridiculously simple with it. Christians, the call to be witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ with all of our lives, we can't do it by our own effort. We don't have the right tool for the task, but praise God, he provides it for us in the Holy Spirit, and the whole Christian life is to be lived in faith. We're not saved by the resurrection power of God to participate in the mission of God by the limited power of our human selves. I have to tell you, I can be a real knucklehead when it comes to that truth. My pride will blind me into thinking it's my job to follow God into his mission by my own very limited power and ability. And then I'm frustrated and surprised when I fail. Why am I surprised when I fail when I try and do the work of God on my own power? Have you ever found yourself in that place? I sure hope you have. I hope I'm not the only one. Why are we surprised when we fail when we try to do the work of God, God's work on our own power? We were never meant to rely on ourselves. We have constantly got to repent of that. I have constantly got to repent of my pride 
and look again in faith to the work of Christ on the cross. Because I am such a mess that God needed to send his son to die for me to make me right with him. I'm that big of a mess, but God loved me so much that he willingly did it. And if God went that far to bring me home, surely he will give me what I need by his spirit to live a life that honors him by being his witness for his glory. That's what changes me. The gospel changes me to rely on the spirit of God. And so like Jesus told his disciples in verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. We need to trust that God will provide what we need to make his glory known. Because God is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. Imagine that. God can blow our minds with what his spirit can do in us and through us. Because of his power that works within us. Let's trust Christ. Let's rely on the spirit. I want to go to the last part of this passage. If you have your Bible open, you can look at verses 9 through 11. I'm going to read this part again for you too. I need to tell you, when Bob said we're starting this sermon series on the book of Acts... Which passage did you want? I immediately said Acts 1. I knew it because verses 9 through 11, I just love this part. It kind of cracks me up, to be honest. Listen to this. When Jesus had concluded instructing his disciples, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking in the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So Christ, he ascends into heaven and then these two angels show up and they're basically saying to the disciples, what are you guys staring at? You know your mission. You know how to get after it. Let's get on with it already. I mean, these angels, they came to give the the disciples a sense of urgency for their mission and their words. They do the same for us today. Don't you know he's coming back? They were called to be witnesses to the resurrection and the power of the Holy Spirit with a sense of urgency, knowing that Christ would soon return to bring his kingdom in full. So these angels, they're a kind of divinely sent agitators in a way, aren't they? They're here to guard these disciples from slipping into complacency. They need to remember that Christ is coming back. What's holding them back from getting on with their mission? Let's go, guys. You know what to do. Let's get on with this. And so if I'm going to preach this passage faithfully, uh, sometimes this is hard, but I've got to be a little bit of an agitator here. I need to ask the question, is something holding you back from trusting God and getting on with his mission in your life? Maybe it's a feeling like you need to get your spiritual ducks in a row first. Maybe it's a feeling that you need more knowledge or better developed skills or greater wisdom before you're ready to witness to Christ. We all have room to grow, but we can't wait because we were created in Christ for these good works which he has prepared in advance for us to do. Christ will mature us and shape us over time by his grace and as the Spirit works in our lives, but we cannot doubt God's work. He has made us for mission. God has prepared these works for us to do, and so we're to step out in reliance on the Spirit. We can't wait. We can't wait. Let me conclude with two strategic questions for you to think about in pursuing God's mission in your life. The first is, how is God leading you to engage his mission in your life right now? How can you witness with your words? How can you witness with your actions in the places he's put you? Pray about that. Pray that the Spirit would show you how. 
Pray that he would show you where you can witness and how you can do it. Pray that he would open doors of opportunity for you to make God's glory known. The second question I want to ask you is how can we better together here at ECC pursue God's mission? That's a question that we think about a lot around here. God has done some amazing things in this church over the past year by his grace. Just last weekend, you may have been here for the World Vision Experience. We had this interactive display that travels all over the country showing people how God is at work in some of the most desperate corners of our globe. And I want you to know that 30 people sponsored a child last weekend, 11 people responded with donations to the Syrian refugee crisis, and five other people made a one-time donation to World Vision's ministry. The mission of God is being forwarded in this place by God's grace. You've heard of our fostering and adoption ministry that we have here at ECC. Last weekend, they also had a weekend seminar and training session just down the hall from where all of our World Vision stuff was set up. In 2015, they had 10 people attend that, which is awesome. In 2016, they had 40 people show up. Wow. A lot of you were involved with this. Last fall, we had the Veritas Forum at IU. We've been a big contributor to that here at ECC. 1,000 students showed up to an on-campus discussion on science, faith, and meaning in life. Worldviews were discussed. Big questions were addressed. The gospel was clearly and winsomely presented. And it made a huge impact in our students' lives on campus. Praise God for his work. His mission is being forwarded in the ministries of this church. And in a few weeks, our children's ministers and our camp staff are going to begin mobilizing the entire church body to go down to Camp Olivet and put on two kids' camps. I came here, all, it'll be four years ago in July, and when I went down and saw this camp, I was like, oh my gosh, like, how is, it, how is a church putting on an entire summer camp? This is a huge deal. We've got everyone and their mom literally showing up to pitch in on this. Um, why do we do this? It's such a big effort. Why do we do it? We do it to witness to the resurrected what, to re- the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the work of God. Man, what a powerful thing this is in our kids' lives. It's absolutely transformative. Thank you so much for your role in that. If you need to tell your boss that you have a doctor's appointment so you can skip work and get down to Camp Olivet and help out, it's well worth it because we're going to come back here. <laughs> we're going to come back here and we're going to hear some powerful stories of how Christ has worked in children's lives through the ministries of this church. And so praise God for the work he's doing But we always want to know what we can do to serve God even better in this place. God is doing some big things by his grace, but we want to know how can we witness better as the part of the body of Christ that God has made us to be. So will you please pray about that? Will you pray how we as a church here at ECC can be better witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Guys, it is a privilege to live this life on mission together, isn't it? Life is not boring as followers of Jesus Christ. We are given a task that fully engages us one with eternal purpose, and we're given the power of God to complete it. Look to him in faith. We can't mess it up. So let's not get caught staring at the sky, because as we all know, a Christian cannot just sit around. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way it speaks to us powerfully today. God, your Holy Spirit is our hope to fulfill the calls that you've given us. We pray that you would humble us to be people who constantly look to the work of Christ for our identity. God, it's by your grace that we have been saved. And Father, 
It's by the power of your spirit at work in us that we are able to fulfill the calls to be your witnesses that you have given us. We thank you for that call, God. It energizes us. It excites us. We pray that we might be your hands and feet in this town and all over the world as your spirit equips us for ministry to make your name and your glory known. And we pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.